I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening You're pinning words All like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Well, we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, y'all? Wakanda. Forever. <laughs> so, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Wait, just real quick. So, Lisa, did you say that Wakanda, that Black Panther was approaching a billion dollars? Oh, yeah. Yes. It was at 700. It's at 800 million like a now. Week ago, it's like so. 800 million now. And yeah. pro- like the next, I'd say the next two weeks. Fulfilling my prophecy. Oh, this is all you now? No. <laughs> I said. He spoke the word. He take, he take no, he did. He spoke the word. I said, this is, like, <laughs> it, this is going to be the box office champ of the year. Right. And, and, it's going to take a billion. And it'll probably be the last big blockbuster we'll ever see. Wow. Now I don't know about that though. No, because no, because it's a very interesting point. It's, it's, it's something that who's this here? What you know that uh, she was saying, Stacy. Stacy, it's hard to get people to come out to the movies. <clears throat> right. You know. Well, uh, I'm I, well, I'm only thinking in terms of the Avengers: The Infinity War, which is uh, which we are now renaming Black Panther and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna make some money, but I don't think it's gonna make the same amount. Of money. I, you know, I don't know because I just think it's gonna bring in more of us to come. Say, but we, we was watching those movies anyway. Oh yeah. But I don't, I don't know if it's gonna do. I think people. I, are, we'll see. I mean, look, I think people are slight. Are there, there is some exhaustion to it because they don't switch it up enough. Not for Black Panther, you know. But no, but I'm saying in terms of like superhero movies, there's gotcha. a bit of an exhaustion for it because it's not switched up enough and. Right. I just kind of feel like it'll be good. It'll make us money, but it won't be. It won't be. Black it Panther. won't be a big cultural event like Black Panther. What you, what you got to say? But it's the the big franchisable uh, comic book adaptations. They're a dying breed. You right. know, we're, we're throwing so much money at them, mm-hmm. and you know, I guess the logic is if we build it, they'll come. But more and more, we're building bigger and bigger, and are the numbers really worth it? Right. So I think the studios have gotten smart, and they said, let's take these quirky indie people, let's get Taiki Watiti, pardon mm-hmm. my pronunciation, let's get Ryan Coogler, mm-hmm. let's get smart, um, <clears throat> you know, sort of off-center, off-mainstream directors to infuse right. it with, you know, the talent and the, you know, the interesting stuff that we can't do. Right. You know, so I guess it's sort of going out with a bang, but at the end of the day... What does it really mean? I mean, I'm right. so glad to see that these people who usually subsist on making films that are ten, twenty million dollars at most, mm-hmm. you know, but that have great followings, um, that they can get in the theater. I mean, they can get these budgets and they can make these right. films. But at the end of the day, I'm wondering when the same studios will give a Ryan Coogler a takey with a Kiki enough to do the films that they want. Right. You know, a smaller budget to do some interesting right. films. Mm-hmm. Take a or, take a tenth of the budget for <laughs> right. Panther or um, Thor and yeah. let them do three 
movies that they really want and should make. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but that's a good point. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I really, I really wonder. I kind of okay. see Ryan Coogler kind of doing the George Clooney route from now on right, out, right. which is basically he'll make those big picture things, but he'll also do his personal. But he does the personal things. ones because those are the ones he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Well, here's those, that's what he would rather do. Well, but he right. makes the big ones to make a living. Right. You I mean, because he's. Do, I guess there's a movie that announced that he's doing with Michael B. Jordan some right. some oh, really? story about right. like some some teachers scandal or something like right. that. And he's doing okay. this. To me, what I want to see really is. It's not really if they're going to do the small $10 million movie. They're going to do that. That's easy. What I want to see is, do those guys have the ability to do something like Inception or something like Interstellar? You know, like, okay, I want to do like the $2 million film that's for my idea, not your franchise. Right. Right, right. Well, they get the funding for that. You know, that's the thing that you want to see. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so y'all hear the voice? <laughs> Lisa Bullock-Kaj over yes. there. The street nerders. Yes. Back gone. again. Back. Oh my God. <laughs> it back. is the incredible. It's incredible. Yes. Okay. <laughs> As Culture Club used to say, you're going to miss me. <laughs> miss me blind. Yes, I've been gone for a minute, but I'm back, y'all. I'm back. I've just been busy, you know. Mm-hmm. Hey. She's been back like one, she did like two episodes. And it's so funny because the last time that you guys uh, were taping, I wanted to call in so you can hear me, but I had just my call, just like, I'm going to call right now. And then I got the call said, can you come in earlier to the thing? So I was just leaving out the oh, thing. Man. And so by the time I well, got there... Well, I also there, missed it because right. I always had my phone on silent yeah. when I was shooting. And I was like, he's so. probably got the phone on silent. And it was like, can you call now? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now sitting on a panel right now and they are having a microphone stuck in front of yeah. my face. So, yay, we're here. With our special guest. Yes, we are. Go ahead, go ahead. And then we got my man Chris Derrick in the house from the writing directing team, the Derrick Brothers. What's up, people? Yo, yo. What it do, what it be, what it look like? <laughs> well, no, I'm just curious today. <clears throat> Interesting. I have work to do. I don't want to do, but I got to do it. We all got to do it. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you know, I just, you talk about the, the Oscar thing. I'm yeah. I'm very curious to see. I'm not curious to see because this is kind of like a, it's kind of like a lesser year, in my opinion. I don't think there was even like really like a great, great I, piece of I, film. I cosign. <clears throat> but I'm curious to see what happens, right. you know, on a certain level. Well, um, <laughs> when this come out, we're going to be way past the Oscars. Because <laughs> <laughs> like you said before, normally we do the annual pre-Oscar where we right. read the scripts and then we go ahead and talk about who we think our picks are yeah. and then we go down the line. But for some reason... Yeah, kind of slipped by us. This is the first time in like. Well, there wasn't really. It, well, I, w- I shouldn't say that. There were some interesting pictures. Like I think about Gook from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about some other smaller projects. But in terms of what actually got nominated, right. I'm, I'm, I don't care to see those. I'm not interested. Right. It's not like Moonlight, where it was like. Well, my attitude was... Yeah, I, I wanted to in, read that when I When I sat right. in the theater and I texted everybody, I said, this is the movie's going to win the Oscar. Like, I had right. just seen it in the theater. Mm-hmm. I was in Hillcrest. And mm-hmm. I said, this is the movie. He going to get nominated. This movie's going to win Best Picture. Mark right. my words. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to tell people why. Right. And I was excited because I, I needed to see that affirmed. Mm-hmm. And you know I was ready to fight when we were watching the Oscars <laughs> and that whole fiasco happened. <laughs> and oh, I was yeah. like, you know what? That For was like disrespectful. That 40 and then I was mad because in, they were right? still putting this whole old boy's name next to his. Like, no, stop. Because it's always going to be an infamy having La La Land attached to that movie. So to me, La La Land doesn't What's exist. What's just funny? I mean, we'll get to you in a second. Moonlight. Forgive me. Um, did you see Wilson that. Cruz's um, tweet? Hi, Wilson. What's that, Wilson? He said something about, and I, I didn't look into it. I guess they were the other day they were rehearsing with the 
What's his name who, who messed it up in the first place? Who was it? Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. They had them up again. Practicing. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna practice and they're going to let them do it again. Wow. And I think that's fair. But it wasn't their fault. It was no. not their fault. Right. Yeah, it was no. not their fault. And Flying I feel fly. like out of respect for their place in Hollywood and, and, right. and let them do it right because it was right. not their fault. Right. So I see that because I, I know how in the old days they're like, we want to see new people. But so I feel like... You know, but how can we do that? But we, we, we have a problem with Steve Harvey when he fucking reads the wrong fucking name. You know what I mean? They have a big issue when he does it wrong. And, and, and then they like, oh, let's give them another chance. Well, Miss Universe pageant is obviously more important than the Best Picture Oscar, right? <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. Anyway, Clearly. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yes. I think it's fair. I mean, I, I think it's fair to let them go ahead and do that. I don't have no issue with it. I just thought it was interesting that yeah. they're doing it. And Wilson, you need to come on the show again. He talking about he want to move back to New York. Oh, right. no. Don't leave us, Wilson. Come on. So Wilson Cruz, as you all know, we had him on our show. Been friend, friends with Hilliard for a while. And we had him on our show, was it two years ago? Yeah. Is it that long ago? You know, we had him when we were at the house. Yes. It's been over two years. Okay. Three years ago. Because he was just on the show with um, he was one Octavia first, Spencer. One yeah. Yeah. And, I, and he's always been my favorite, yeah. you know, for years. So I've always expected good things from him. And now that things are blown up for him with the Star Trek right. universe and all that stuff. So I'm still kind of like a little salty <laughs> because I don't know what they're going to do with this character. Right. If you have not seen Star Trek uh, Discovery, please do so. It's one of my favorite Star Trek shows. And um, I'll try to get him back on. Before yeah. You. Before he runs away to go back to New yeah. York and leave me. <laughs> anyway, hi Wilson. So so happy for your success, dude. That's what's up. Keep going. <clears throat> so if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. Mm-hmm. So today we got my girl Geisha Marie Bland, right? Okay. Uh, here from New York City. Yes. New York City. <laughs> New York. <laughs> In the house, writer herself. Um, I wanted to have you on the show. We we've been talking about it for like over a year now, right? It has been. We've since been kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But I wanted to have you on the show because. So I was listening, for those of you who haven't listened to it, you guys should still, it's still up, you guys should listen to the Blacklist podcast. And they do these like live stage readings with full like stars and celebrities. And you had a script um, that I heard, I, I was two minutes in, I was like, who wrote this script? It is so good for me. And, and so eventually, some reason, I think I came across you on Twitter and we hit each other, and I was like, whatever, you're in L.A., girl, let's get together, whatever. So, Right, it started all with the podcast. Right, mm-hmm. with the podcast. Lucky, yeah. Right. So let's talk about you a little bit. Yeah, well, I, um, I'm New York-based, and I come out here for meetings because that's what I have to do. Right. Um, I was here a year and a half ago trying to sort of get into the L.A. bit uh, for a women in film blacklist TV lab, mm-hmm. um, just trying to get my bearings, take meetings. Because I'm in New York, and I... Focus mostly on features. Right. Um, I kind of trick myself into thinking I don't need to be here, but here I am. Right <laughs> here I am. So I um, I went to NYU grad school for the cinema studies program, mm-hmm. and and this was at a time when there were still some of the uh, indie companies, development companies in New York. Right. So after that, I tried to get jobs in development, mm-hmm. and so we all know that that did not last for very long. <laughs> you know, how can I sustain myself right. and my shoe allowance on? Doing yeah, she was, look, she making it real. Like, look, I love her already. Listen, <laughs> listen, y'all, know, y'all, know y'all need to understand. Okay, okay, this is serious. Okay, like, right. it's in the budget. Okay, how am I going to sustain myself on ten dollar coverages of that? Mm-hmm. In addition to you know taking trying to get jobs as a PA and just the abusive sort right. of behavior that um, 
I was told to expect. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the more notorious ones I, I got jobs with, but I just had to refuse them, right. even though they paid, because <clears throat> I am not up to be abused by anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. So I tried that, and at th- that point, I wasn't... He's really, like, I'll fight a man. Okay, I will. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Listen. It wouldn't have gone like, well. I'm from the yard. Okay. <laughs> listen. I'm from the yard, listen. Jack. I'm, listen. I'm not so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, imagine my first development job, and all I get is a rap sheet. Like, I don't want that. You know? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and I, I should have been writing then, I guess, mm-hmm. more. But, you know, you're young. And what was I going to write about? Right. And just the discipline it takes to really write right. and mm-hmm. really um, just focus on your craft. Mm-hmm. So I just stopped. I left the film world. I started working in startups. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of that quickly. I mean, all the booms and busts and just whatever right. that's about. That's right. not me. Right. I'm a film person. So I just plunged back into writing. And I just started Writing everything. I wrote features. I wrote pilots, specs, everything. Yeah. Um, a lot of it I burned uh, since then, which is what, <laughs> what you have what to you do. do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get You those, have to write a bunch of them to learn what, right, what you're doing right, wrong right. sometimes, right? Right. And then, you, um, yeah, just sort of force yourself to learn to write. And as I always like to compare it to, it's like running. You know, you log your miles. Right. Every day you get in front of your computer and right. you figure something out and you write. I like that. You yeah. log your miles. That's mm-hmm. a good one. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I also try to... Or I worked in a novel, worked in short stories, mm-hmm. but I just figured, you know, let, let's stop pretending, let's go back to what I love, which is film. <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> yeah, so after that, I mean, so I think I, um, you know, wrote several features, specs, et cetera, uh, pilots, and I chanced upon, I was looking into writing a script that I thought would get me some industry attention, mm-hmm. and so I let me go to old Hollywood and sort of investigate that, because everyone loves old Hollywood stories, right. but there's also a timely lesson in anything old Hollywood about this business, mm-hmm. the craft, the the gumption, the ambition. And I was looking at how to sort of deconstruct a classic that we know. Because right. obviously everything that's the classics, the golden age, it's all a facade, mm-hmm. right? right? So I I found one classic, but then someone else sort of beat me to it. Not as well, I think, as I would have done. <laughs> so I switched to my personal sort of obsession, which was Birth of a Nation and... Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. because in film school you read film history, right. and you're like, how in the world? Right. These two are still our most seminal yes. uh, films. Mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind to this day is the most profitable film ever made. Ever. Um, still, in Avatar, nothing can touch it. Right. Um, based on based on the time, the amount the of right, yeah, right. You dress for the the gross <coughs> net. Yeah. It's all. It's still the most right. profitable film ever. I mean, and it's so deeply ingrained right. in our cultural consciousness. This film. The camp of it, but the lessons of it and right. the history of it. Um, and the irony of it to me is that Gone with the Wind is essentially a sanitized version of Birth of a Nation. Right. You know, it's steeped in this antebellum lore about the South mm-hmm. and stuff. And and the most important part of that was as a kid, my parents were le- lefties, radicals. I was not allowed to watch that. Oh, really? They were like, there's no way. They're like, this is, you know... My mom still had her little panther fro, you know. She's like, there's no way in hell you're watching this. Power to the people. No Barbies, no Gone with the Wind, really? no sugar cereal. So, no sugar cereal, okay. No, no for the Loops for me. Um, <laughs> so, and so, uh, so I she always... She's Tupac cousin, look. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so I actually finally started researching this because I knew about Hattie and I knew about Selznick. Mm-hmm, I knew about the right. studio system. So I was like, I'm going to write... Something that's really about the politics of the industry, the economics of the industry, going back mm-hmm. to the golden age. And so I said, you know what? I can write this without watching the film because I don't mm-hmm. want to watch it. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, so I was doing sort of the research on her life, the trials and tribulations <clears throat> of her career, 
and also on Selznick, and mm-hmm. it just emerged with this like incredible story. Then I actually started watching it, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> and I was surprised that I liked it in a way that I didn't expect to like. Yeah, you know, I mean, in many ways, it's such a ridiculous film, right. but I understand why people love it. Right. So I mean, that just complicated the legacy of this film. So I mean, the more I researched, the more I watched, you know, that just emerged. Selznick and his sort of larger than life personality, his troubles with. MG, with MGM, with, right. his, with Louis B. Mayer. With his father-in-law, which father-in-law. is crazy, right. Right, I mean, mm-hmm. just this crazy Oedipal story. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, to this day, Selznick remains, at least theoretically, the sort of grandfather of indie film. He was one of the first to break out of the studio system right. and say, I can do this on myself, right. which is a model that we all struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I looked at her performance, and seeing her, I knew she was struggling to you know, play this role, Play this role she always had been forced to play, mm-hmm. and looking at Butterfly McQueen in her role, mm-hmm. which I think is hysterical, mm-hmm. unlike other people, I, I think hers is my favorite performance. Um, but just the complications and you, of seeing the racial politics of this film, like on the screen and then behind the screen, and I couldn't. I mean, I just got so hooked into it. I wrote the feature, like this is my entree into the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I queried it all around town. Right. You know, as a, as a new screenwriter and a representation, I right. queried it all around town. Obviously got no responses, except for one, <clears throat> and I will not mention names, obviously, <laughs> but one of the production companies, a pretty highbrow, great cachet, mm-hmm. um, of, you know, run by one of the top sort of actors of color in Hollywood. Okay. And they sent a rejection letter, a pass letter, excuse me, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I got a letter back. It's my first letter out of a thousand <laughs> queries. Mm-hmm. But and you didn't send the script. You just sent... I sent the, queries. Oh, you, yeah, yeah, right, right. And I just pitched it. And I always pitched it as, oh, as the award season comes upon us, right. here's a time to review the film that sort of made the award season right. the industry that it is. Because this is the film that broke all the records. Right. I mean, set the record, basically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. really, it was only the ninth Academy Award. And it's the one that really... Made a part of you know mainstream culture, made a part of film culture, right. and so I queried it. I sent it to this company, and I got a letter, and I was so happy to open this letter. And the letter from this uh, development company, run by a top actor of color, the letter read something like, uh, "The gist of it was we find this subject matter so unappealing; it's almost repugnant." It wow. was so nasty; I wow. couldn't believe it. Like, I wish I'd framed that. I wish I had saved it. Framed it. What? Wow. You didn't save it. I, I don't know. I mean, I have papers and all my research. I, you know, so, and I mean, the irony, I mean, it's very ironic for several reasons, knowing who this person is. Right. Um, so I just kept querying, mm-hmm. and I queried some boutique agencies in New York, and one of the uh, agents there, she's like, I love the script. Mm-hmm. And uh, she signed me from that, and, and by that time I had several other features that I had written. I had several pilots. I sent her everything, mm-hmm. and she read everything, and she signed me from that. Right. So then I was like, oh, this is great. So now, next step, let's try to sell this. Right. Um, and so because I'd written it as a feature, this was when peak TV was starting to right. be a thing. So it happened with this project and others. Before Everyone's like, Underground and all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? Yeah, it was. It was <clears throat> and so everyone is like, oh, this is a great feature. Let's turn it into a series. Right. So I then worked with the producer who optioned it, and I broke it out into a series, a six-episode a six miniseries. Right. That's why I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <clears throat> but in the meantime, I was, I was still shopping around the feature version. You know, I worked with this producer for quite some time, mm-hmm. and we just didn't see eye-to-eye on a lot of the material. Right. So that's how, that's how it goes. Right. 
And then um, we've all been there. Mm. <laughs> all mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, I, every time I spoke to this person, I mean, not to uh, disparage her in any way, yeah. I had to repitch the project to her. What? Like you forgot? Right. I was like, shit. why did you option this if I have to repitch it to you every time I speak to you? <laughs> like, remind you know? me about that. Uh, right. It's like, I've, written, I've written a Bible for this TV series. I've done a beat sheet for the entire series, right. plus a pilot and second episode. Why am I repitching this to you? No sense. You know? So... Um, I uh, actually just f- focused on another project. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, I was chosen by the Women in Film and Blacklist for their inaugural Women's TV Lab. Now, how did you get that? So I had another pilot, another mm-hmm. feature that I'd written, um, <clears throat> and I broke that into a pilot because mm-hmm. my agents like, oh, turned into a, into a TV series. Right. So I did that work. And I just, on a lark, I was like, it was a, like the hour deadline approaching. I'm like, I'll just send it in. We'll just mm-hmm. see. Because I'd written this, and I'm like, it's a period... It's hard to sell. Mm-hmm. I'll just see what I can get with it. And so I got into the program, <clears throat> and I came out to L.A. for the program. And I did that program, and then you know, I met Franklin. I'd always been like going to Blacklist events, kind of harassing Franklin, mm. just to see whatever I could glean from him. <laughs> and then, um, Good person to know. Yeah. yeah, no, he's great. He's fantastic. <clears throat> and I went back to New York, and then I got a call from the Blacklist. And they're like, oh, we love the Selznick script. And she's like, oh, we didn't tell you. We read this years ago and we love it. <laughs> I was like, well, how would I know? I mean, because it's been that, it was right. maybe five years since I had written it, written the, the feature version, written the pilot, um, the miniseries version. And I'm like, I'm not getting traction out of this. I moved on. Right. And then she's like, oh, didn't we tell you we love this? I was like, actually, no, you didn't tell me. <laughs> Where's my letter, bitch? Where my letter? <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, yeah. And they had read it and I didn't know this right. the whole time I was there. So they're like, we'd love to do a reading. Hmm. So, um, and the whole time that they were talking about it, I thought they were talking about the pilot version because I had forgotten oh, about right. the feature. You forgot about the I feature. I really, literally <laughs> forgot about like it. She had moved on, like for real, <laughs> right. to a different state, right. a different country. <laughs> we had moved on. <laughs> and, um, and they happened to have Yvette Nicole Brown. Mm-hmm. She had done another uh, blacklist reading, the, I forget the name of it, The Amos and Andy. Right, mm-hmm. right, Very right. similar kind mm-hmm. of story. And uh, Kate at the blacklist said she'd be perfect for Hattie. Um, and she was. She was great. She mm-hmm. was fantastic as Hattie yeah. McDaniel. And uh, that's how it came to be. Mm-hmm. And so it's still the same process because these things, you know, everyone. Were you there or were you not there? No, I, I did. I, I came in. You got it. to go? Okay. Yeah. Good. I came in. It was almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I came for that and I got to meet Yvette and everyone else who read for it and mm-hmm. just a lot of talented people and they just right. brought the script to life they did. Mm-hmm. in a way that I just, you know, the final draft woman's voice can never do, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it was. It I was, was telling I was telling Chris yesterday. We didn't mean to interrupt you. <clears throat> we were talking about it because I was listening to it. I went to go pick him up, and I was listening to it again just to get my mind back in that space again. Mm-hmm. And I was, and he was talking about it. he was reading it again, and while I was listening to it, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Remember that song with such and such?" I was like, "Well, Yvette like sung that song." He was like, "Oh, that's how that song goes." Whatever. And we were having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't have really known the rhythm of how that worked. Oh. Okay. But hearing it, and she sung it perfectly, I was like, ah, that's how it worked. So right. she colored it even right. more. Right. You know what I mean? Go ahead, Doc. So, I mean, and that, that's how it came to be. And um, I still love this project. I think, I think it's part amazing. of me is like, how in the world have we not had this yeah. made? Now. And not just because it's mine. I mean, obviously right. that's my motivation. <laughs> <laughs> I want my work right. on the screen. But I mean, tell them what it's called. By yeah, the way. Oh, so and give us like a synopsis so sure. for people who are not aware um, of it. My script is called Selznick's Folly, and it's about <clears throat> the careers of both Hattie McDaniel and David Selznick um, as they navigate the golden age of the studio system, um, culminating in the making of Gone with the Wind, right. and about the making of Gone with the Wind back then, 
the racial politics, the economic politics, the studio politics that were um, behind all of this and the way that the Oscar and the prestige industry sort of managed that or sort of uh, uh, damage controlled a lot of the issues that were happening in in Hollywood at the time. Well, you know, I just want to say something. Sure. I'm going to jump around, interrupt you, what have you. Um, The thing that I thought was interesting about your script and story because um, I've seen some people like, try to do this in a way that I don't think they've succeeded. In a, is that? But, by the way, let me just preface: Chris wrote this kick-ass Orson Welles script. That's oh, really? Badass. Yeah. Plus, I might have a huge like storehouse of knowledge on on the Golden Age of Hollywood. Um, but it's interesting because you don't do it heavy-handedly, but you do it the right way, where it's like Selznick is influenced. By the all this stuff's happening in Germany mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. and I really like that as kind of like this <clears throat> this, this this kind of like motive. It's like a it's like a secondary motivator for him. Yeah, because uh, I just seen a movie. Oh, I'm not, I've, I just seen a movie that tried to do something like that, and they and they missed the boat. They kind of introduced it and then missed the boat on it. And I was yeah. like, you got to put that in there because you have to be able to say that. You know the the filmmakers of mainstream Hollywood who would make these movies that had some sort of like racial touch to it at that time were really taking a risk. Right. You know, and they're really. I mean, there's a really great Kazan movie called Pinky about this woman who passes. It's played by a white woman, but my mom's um, movies from back in the day. But it's like one of those things where it's kind of like he taking a risk making that movie because you are, are now because it's it's one of the things that you were saying earlier about how. The movie's such a big movie. It's got so much like cultural like like impact and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, you know why? Because the movie, since the movie is kind of like the it's like the fuel as to why we still see the Confederate flag around because it be, you know you know because it like jumps into Who's that. Phone is on. His name would be Chris. <laughs> so. Um, I just, you know, I thought it was really cool. I, I mean, like, that was a smart touch in the script. Thanks. I mean, I think um, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, the, the notion of the Hollywood liberal. Right. <clears throat> and Selznick is probably one of the first ones. <laughs> one of the that, first, right. Yeah. Right. And he, because the studio... But even seemed, he wasn't perfect. Right. right. I mean, right. I would say right. to him, for his, as much as someone like him could be, he was the right. liberal that, you know, we like to think he is. Right. Um, this is still 1930s. Right. He was naive to a right. lot of things. Like he didn't yeah. realize that the N word was a bad thing or whatever right. he had to learn. He didn't know, right. and even <clears throat> into the point that he was flummoxed and shocked by the nastiness that right. he would encounter in Atlanta. Like I'm sure he was scared out of his mind, right. and he had no idea that was happening even here. <laughs> and so the, the tiny things that he tried to do uh, for his own personal reasons, like for his you know big show business personality, right. and just to be fair to his cast and crew. And just to promote the film, were really edgy back then. Right. Um, it's a very different era. I mean, all the things that were happening. I mean, this is a time, you know, when the Screen Actors Guild had just been established, mm-hmm. and the very basics of people getting fair pay, getting bathroom breaks, mm-hmm. or for the the extras and actors of color to have access to these changing rooms and bathrooms. Like right. this is a kind of thing that was not even conceivable back then. Yeah. And so plus get, getting through the depression, it's just, there was just so much going yeah, it, on. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it'd be, I mean, it's, you the know, Red it's, Summer had just happened in 1929. Yeah, I mean, it's right, it's right before, 
It was this movie. Came, this came out in nineteen thirty nine, right? So it, uh, it, it's right before we enter the war. It's right, right. and so and America was still pushing that like isolationist kind of like thing going on, right. you know. And there's all those guys who uh, you know those. A lot of the writers were, were part of the Communist Party and looking for these kind of these, you know, to deal with the social upheaval. Mm-hmm. You know that it just is. Um, it's it's a very interesting time to look right. at. Very yeah. interesting time to look at. And I thought that I thought that you recreated that in a very. Um, it felt very authentic. It felt you know you know you know what's that movie that was out recently. Hail, Hail Caesar, right? Which I think is right. in the fifties, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like. But they made it like a comedy or something. Yeah, and it's kind of like you know, yeah, it's, it's 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 like if you jump into that world, that time, it's kind of like you want to see that with that kind of like um, there's that feeling of there's that bite that you that you want to feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a great movie. Uh, it's called The Bad and the Beautiful. That kind of touches that a similar time period. It's Vincent Minnelli with Lana Turner and Kirk mm-hmm. Douglas. Mm-hmm. Fantastic movie. Told um, you we got some cinephiles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, so I mean, that's what I think is like really strong about your movie. Like, like it brings that time to life, but right. it also brings that time to life where we see what is happening with with black people. You right. know, I think the only movie I know offhand I remember does that interesting time is um, Devil in a Blue Dress. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's funny. I was, as I read, or even as I listened to the, because I listened to the podcast first, but as I read the script when your agent sent it to me, you know, months later, it, I read it in black and white. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. Like I read it in black and mm-hmm. white, but when they finally were in the movie, I saw it in color. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's very, very weird. Because I knew that that's what Selznick was, was pushing for. Right. And for some reason in my head, I read the entire script in black and white until they were in Gone with the Wind. But yeah, it's interesting. It should have been that way, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a trip. Mm-hmm. That's a trip. Mm-hmm. But I personally love the script. I think it's, I think it's really, really good. Um, <clears throat> lots of, you do a lot of things with character that I think are very advanced that writers should be doing. So I could, I could even when I heard it in the podcast, I was like, oh, she's smart. Like there's a, there's a when you first meet um, Hattie, um, I believe they're, I think I have it in my head. They're in the club and they're 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 performing. She's performing on the stage. She performs yeah. on the stage and everybody goes off and she stays on and finishes doing the Dixieland thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, she was showing that she always has to give them a show. Right. So you you were mm-hmm. letting us know. They always say, show us who the characters when we first meet them. You were showing us as soon as we meet your hero, she is in the midst of. No matter what we're going to go through over this movie, right. this character will fight. Right. This character will do whatever it is to get them to laugh, to get them to smile, despite playing this right. character. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And every, I mean, that's the issue with dealing with anything that's biopic memoir. Right. You have a historical personage. Right. But a historical personage is not a character. Right. You know, how do you bring, ground them, bring them down right. to flesh and bone, you know, to whatever it is that motivates them and makes them real? Right. And with her, when we see her on the stage, and we see her making a calculation that I'm on stage, I have an audience, right. and they want me to play Dixie. I should never, ever sing Dixie. Right. Neither should anyone else in my cast, but mm. I'm going to do this because the right. show has to continue. I need to please my, my audience. Right. And w- when we see that, I think we know that as she moves through Hollywood and has all these challenges, that she is of the mindset that I have to keep this going. I have right. to keep the show of, 
of me, myself as an actress going. I have to mm-hmm. keep whatever show I'm involved in going. And I mean, team player, so to speak, but it also speaks to her moral compromise right. that she's always you know, <clears throat> sort of, a decision she's forced to make well, see, all the time. Okay, mm-hmm. You saying you bring up the moral compromise because I, 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 there's a line, I can't remember, I think she's talking to her brother and she Was quotes, Sam or something? Sam, Sam. yeah, mm-hmm. and she quotes the, the, the Latin that's beneath the MGM. Oh, thing, right, right. You know, the, Let's the, goddess, it, something, you know, what you got? Yeah. yeah, the yeah. Uh, art for art's sake. And what's interesting is that she kind of, she, she kind of gets it wrong in terms of like in, in in terms of the lesson from that she kind of which i think is a really smart really really cool thing she right. kind of says that means that that we can't be held responsible for the roles that we play oh, you know yeah, as opposed to, as smart. opposed to no you no you do the art for the art you don't do it for the money right you know and that i thought was a really great touch for like that moment of like why she doesn't understand she's doing it because she's practical but not realizing that it's hurting people and why and and she and she needed that it seemed like she needed that license to give her the moral compromise right. and I thought that was like a great little like touch you had in the story about that yeah I mean that's the complicated aspect of her legacy um if we look at it if we look at it purely as history as economics she did great things right. but let's also not forget that she was usually cast with step and fetch it right. mm-hmm. and that's appropriate in many ways I mean mm-hmm. he's completely a pariah no one's going to put him on a stamp, right. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but to some degree, like their legacies back then were quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she obviously transcended that with her role and with her overall legacy, but she was put in a position where she had to make that decision all the time. And uh, to what degree uh, would she say, she, would she ever call out the role she was, she was forced mm-hmm. to play? Um, and I think that's, that was the trick with her, is to get the complexity where we're rooting for her, right. rooting for her to succeed, even though we know that when they say, you know, you don't get your own dressing room, you go through the colors only mm-hmm. entrance, um, we're rooting for her even though we know and we all feel that she should walk away, right. but she can't. Right. Um, <clears throat> but that opening scene to me, yeah. when we meet her, sets that up. Right. Yeah. She wouldn't yeah. do that. She wouldn't, right. Right, right. And mm-hmm. everyone else is calling her out, and, right. and she's, she, but she's like, She's so focused on that, right. and, but she has to be because if if she didn't, how would if she survive? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, that's the awful truth. I'm trying to think of the parallels from the actors. Most I'm thinking about in terms of like because you know, we, as black filmmakers, we go through these golden ages every right. now and then. And I'm thinking about the films. Uh, the last great, great black golden age was like in the '90s. We had like TV shows, right. movies mm-hmm. were coming out, and I'm just thinking in terms of how the script echoes what the things that Hattie had to go through. And endure and just make some choices that I'm thinking about actors now who were coming up in the 90s who are looking back on their careers and wondering, did I make some choices that, mm, I made some money, a little change, but yeah. in terms of the culture and, 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 and upliftment of, quote, the race, mm-hmm. you know, what type of stereotypes and things like that. Because I always feel like art is always echoing life. And since you're, you're doing it on a, an historic, a real person, you know, it's not just a fictional thing. It's like a real thing. And it's like, we're in conversation with it constantly, with history, with black filmmakers, yeah. black creators. I'm Every just year. Yeah, I'm just wondering for you, like, are there any parallels or anything that you see that are still being reflected in the industry now with the, the scripts and things that are coming out from black creators? Well, I think at the time that I was researching this, it was the year that The Help was released. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was also that press junket that really sort of helped crystallize the idea for me. Right. Because seeing Viola 
um, and Octavia on the press junket and, and mm-hmm. being, being sort of criticized and called out from members of the black press. Right. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you playing a maid? Right. You know, Hattie dealt with the same thing in right. the 30s. Mr. White. Right. Right. Walter right. White from the NAACP, mm-hmm. the black press. There was, I mean, we think that, you know, um, Oscars to White is a new thing. It's not. This right. has been around since the very beginning. <laughs> yes. And they were very mobilized. Mm-hmm. They were very, um, I mean, they were on it right away. So it was it was that because every year, mm-hmm. um, every year, whatever the films are or not, whatever the talent that's recognized or not talented, right. it's a litmus test. And, right. and I sort of compare that 1939 victory and that moment to what we're ha- what's happening now. Right. And these right. things are very circular. Right. Um, and how much do they move? How much do they progress? You know, the question is, you know, it, it's complicated. Right. Some just- some days it's oh, there's progress. Some days not really. Because right. I'm so- thinking in terms of the help when Octavia Spencer won. For playing right. a man, it's like, man, right. like, we've come far, but not really. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, well, well, she won for that, and then with a year or two later, um, Monique won for playing that drug for addict precious. mom. Right. And I was right. like, okay, you know, and then, I mean, I, I'm not going to take anything away from Jamie, you know, for Ray, but it's like, okay, so and so you play the entertainer for us. You know, again, that's what, the, you know, the view is the black people to entertain you know, and then and then Denzel gets it for the crooked cop. You know, right. so it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, where's the win for you know? Cause I've read this thing one time that Denzel saying that, that he regretted not taking Michael Clayton. You know, oh, he, he was offered Michael. Clayton? He was the first person that 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 that, that it was wow. the script went to, and he was like, he's like that guy's never directed before. <clears throat> I'm not doing it. That's that old Hollywood way but, um, of thinking, too. That's yeah, bullshit. yeah, but it's yeah. like, but you know, like, but yeah. that's a movie that George Clooney like did get nominated for, yeah. and I'm sure that Denzel would have got nominated for. He could have won, right. and it's just like that. You know, would have been cool to, to have seen him win for a role like that. Right. You know, because he's, you know, he's not going to get. You well, know. he was nominated for Philadelphia, right? Yeah, he was not. Supporting, supporting, he didn't right. win. You know, and he won for playing the slave and right. what you call it, yeah, glory. Yeah, 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 glory. But it's you know, I mean, to me, I think he should have won <laughs> for uh, for Hurricane. Like well, that yeah, to me definitely. is like yeah, like the big, the big Rob, in big his, the big Rob in his career. Mm-hmm. For me, it was Malcolm X back in the day. But it was well, like if you're not going to get Hurricane, that like, too. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Mal- yeah, it was, that's, that's, yeah, that was the upset. Actually. That yeah, yeah that's a, and that's why he got it for Training Day because they knew they messed. He up. was amazing in Training Day, though, in my opinion. Well, and I was glad he played that kind of character yeah. because my my criti- it was funny the criticism I had of him and also Will Smith at the time because right. like they were playing like these big roles where they were like these likable guys or right. whatever. It's like if you're gonna be an actor. Sometimes you got to play those roles where you're right. the anti-hero and not the good guy, and not you know. To me, that's like you got to stretch your thing. If not, it's like, you, it's like not, Tom Cruise and yeah, Tropic Thunder. If not, they're going. Yeah, if not, they're going right. to end up collateral. like they're going to end up like Morgan in Collateral. Yeah, right. Collateral. Right. They're going to end up like Morgan Freeman. And yeah, for me, Morgan's fun. best role to me is always going to be Street Smart. Oh fuck yeah! Oh, God. <laughs> as as, as pimp, Fast yeah, Black. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like, he was like, that's a tour, that, like he was giving you a performance. And it was right. like, after that, drive Miss Daisy. And then he became like our <laughs> surrogate dad for everybody. He's everybody's favorite black. It's like Sam Jackson. Like they have their particular actors and they get into these roles and they get cast and they kind of play the same characters right. over and over again. Right. And I'm just waiting for, for Morgan to do another like anti-hero. I'm waiting for us to like branch out a little bit. But to go back to when we're talking about the echoes in terms of like, Octavia Spencer winning for the help and stuff like that. That was when I had to make that conscious decision that I had to say that there are certain films, um, 
And I know when Viola was taking all that heat and all them for playing those roles, mm-hmm. sometimes I have to tell myself, like, there are certain movies that are meant for certain people. Right. And there's some movies that aren't made for me. Because I remember my mother was like, you've got to, like, you've got to see this movie. It's so good. And I told my mother, I don't want to see Queen Viola. <laughs> playing a maid right now. Right. Um, I think she's beyond those roles. I think she needs to be doing something else. But you do you and go, go see those films. So I always have to like have that caveat with certain films, like certain people need them, some of us don't, right? You know, and 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 let artists do the art they want to do. I mean, you're always going to get criticism, you know. Um, I'm not going to critique whether or not it was warranted because I know I have my issues with like, oh, the help. Of course, it's, of course, we're going to get a lot of big nominations for that because we always get nominated for maids and hookers and mm-hmm. those type of characters. But at the same time, it's like you know what. Some people probably need it. They need to see that that viewpoint. But that's what I like about her script in particular, though. For me, she kind of... You talk about that because there's somebody who's basically saying what you're saying mm-hmm. to some extent. Right. Lots of people, mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Wife and everybody. Um, but Hattie's saying, I just want to act. Right. If that's what I can do, I just want to... Can I just perform? I'm just playing a character. It's not really me. And we have to look historically, too, in terms of black people. Sometimes some of us have to carry that burden for the rest of us to get ahead. It's like when we talk about, uh, even in real life now, when we talk about people coming from slavery, people sharecropping, people who are working in in, um, domestic work, working in people's homes, and like, oh, I would never do that kind of work. It's like, don't disparage those people who did that work, because that's how we were able to, to move forward. But if I recall... Um, Keisha, wasn't the Gone with the Wind like one of the first, well, probably the first script that really gave the slaves or the maids speaking roles? Well, speaking. big roles, like right. they had, they and they had emotion. They had that they had to go Rage. to. I mean, they had that they had to play a role. Right. They weren't just you know, yes, ma'am, and going to do or making a joke and the big mm-hmm. eyes or whatever. Right. They actually were playing characters. Yeah, I mean, it was to such an extent. I mean, these were fully fleshed out roles, supporting right. roles. Not just extra menial roles. Right, right. To the extent that uh, <laughs> some of the the uh, one of the, the directors he thought they should cast a white actress in blackface <laughs> because he did not believe that a black actress could have the range right. of the chops to play a real role. Who's that, Mervyn Monroe? Yeah. Oh I can't remember. No, who was it? I can't it remember. It was now. George Cooker. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's yeah, he's firmly believed that. Right. Um, I mean, can you imagine in 1939 putting? Uh, I forget. Well, it wasn't that far away, so I, yeah, right. I can imagine. Okay. wife or kept woman who right. wanted to be an actress, imagine putting her in blackface right. and, and making her the... Um, mm-hmm. What's her name? Marion Davies. Marion Davies. Yes, right. thank you. Yeah, Marion Davies. You are... You are Miss like, Marion Davies. <laughs> yes, put on this blackface, honey. You ever see this movie? I hate to do this. You ever see this movie called The Cast Meow? That sounds familiar. It's like this story about like Marion Davies and some of the people that go on this boat and... What's his name? Ince gets killed, gets shot. It was these, it was these Hollywood stories. It was I, that was really, really good. I think Peter Bogdanovich did it. <laughs> but it's just interesting to see those movies and see what, how people kind of like, you know, like uh, peel back what happens. I mean, it's always weird because people, you know, people a lot of times say you shouldn't do these Hollywood films. They don't write these these inside Hollywood stories. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when I came out here. There's this movie called The Big Picture. This Comedy that everyone right. was saying right. was right. out. They were like, "Yeah, that's, after that, we shouldn't be doing these anymore." Right. But and then you know, and 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 you didn't see him for a long time. And the player and the legend. Yeah. yeah, but well, yeah. the player was before that. And yeah. I just kind of think, but the player is a classic example. That's a great movie about like, let's go back and look at what happens behind the Dream Factory. Yeah. 
you know, and we should see how, but you know, that's still a comedy in a sense. And it's got, you know, well, it's a, whatever, it's a light thing. I mean, there's a really great movie, um, Day of the Locust. You yes. Ever seen that? yes, it's just like, yes. Some, I mean, that's such a brutal look at right. the. I think after that, they're like, you know, we got, wait, we ain't got, we tell them too we, much we, stuff. We, 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 we got not making these. We're gonna stop our own dirty laundry. Right. But but to me, get your 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 script to me really. You know, I mean, we all read hundreds of scripts. I feel like your script put me into the headspace of being a fly on the wall of what could have happened. Mm-hmm. And I kept going, so in your research, like how much of this stuff is really real and how much did you, you know, create? You know, because you have to, mm-hmm. you know. And I kept going, because like even everything you did with Selznick and like there's moments with him sitting at like the Oscars with his father-in-law and his wife and... Like they would lose again. His wife had like this repetitive thing that she would say <laughs> to him, which year, I thought was dear. brilliant. Like next year, dear. and but at first he was like, "Yeah, okay," and then he was like, "Bitch, shut up." <laughs> and then he was like, "I don't want to hear it." Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and and but but the, but you feel like like how did you get into that? Spe- like, but that's character development, of course. But was that stuff you read and learned stuff about? Like, well, where did that... Well, when I read that he was conse- nominated consecutively three or four years and lost, right. I was like, oh, my goodness. Right. You know, what What a mindfuck for this guy, mm-hmm. someone who's so ambitious, and to have the person, your your greatest nemesis and your boss, sitting He's the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sitting behind you, like... And your wife okay, is and the your daughter. wife is in there right. like, right. Yeah, I mean, right. it's, you know, it's there's, that's the thing about that's that's interesting about these Hollywood things and you know for us it's like we look at the Oscars and they go oh it's this whole thing but you know the people in to me I think the people in town like the actual people profiled at that level they take it seriously and they have to play this not but it's like particularly if you get nominated quite a bit and don't win you know like I'm pretty sure like he, he, Paul Newman, right. you know, he never got, he, he never won for any of his seminal young roles, okay. you know, and he was nominated. I think, I think for a while he was one of those guys who was nominated the most who never won, like seven <laughs> times. Wow. You know, like not not for Butch Cassidy, not for Cool Hand Luke, right. not for HUD, you know, not for Catching Roof. I mean, not for not for the Sting. And, and sometimes it's best to not like, win and just keep getting those power just, player roles and keep like, it working. Damn, yeah. Go ahead and make that peanut make butter. That peanut that's awesome. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah, so it's that's most, my revenge, my salad dressing, and my barbecue sauces. <laughs> so it's this thing that it's this thing I bring up because it's an interesting kind of like, you know, someone like Selznick, like you kind of say to yourself. It's all my peers who are voting to a put me here and and then b not give it to me, right. and that is what stings, and that is what like gives you great like material to tell the story right. because you're just like, you know, it's one thing if you don't ever get nominated, you right. know, if I get Hitchcock and you you I'm great, whatever the public tells me I'm great, but right. I don't win. Um, but oh, that's incidentally the the one time that he did do a movie that, that got. Uh, uh, prestige of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. David O. Selznick produced it. Oh, they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that, the next year <clears throat> after mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind was Rebecca. Uh-huh. Rebecca. And, yeah, that's yes. but that's the great thing about Selznick because, as a character, as a person and a character, from you know from the outside he was an insider, you know, but he was actually even though in the inside he was actually quite an underdog, mm-hmm. and that was was what complicated his legacy. Right. I think that's what propelled him to go on, on his own right. and try to take on the studio system in this David right. and Goliath kind of way, right. even though, you know, the house always wins. Mm-hmm. He's like, he had the gumption 
the same that Hattie had the gumption. Like right. I can play this a certain way, and I can come out on top to some extent on my own, right. in my own way. So he did, and he didn't just like her. I was mm-hmm. thinking about something. You were talking about how <clears throat> Selznick was probably like one of the first, you know, Hollywood liberals. The way that you set up in the script, so was Clark Gable. Well, Clark. So where, where yeah. did you where did you do the research with that? Where you figured out there were they have such an interesting relationship, him and Hattie. Uh, well, I mean, I I had heard about, what, I read that Hattie used to throw these huge parties. Right. She would just invite, you know, sort of the the black mm-hmm. literati of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the musicians, who. yeah, mm-hmm. just to, and they would just party at her house. Right. And Clark Gable, I think, if if there was whiskey involved, he was there. <laughs> so you know, if there's bourbon, whatever it was his drink. And I think just through that, through a really informal sense, um, he partied with her. Right. But also, he, you know, he like some people from the that era who became stars, they didn't come from anything. Right. He was, I mean, he's not a sharecropper son. I'm not going right. to go that far. But he was born in a poor farm in Ohio. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a hustler. He hustled Fine his way. Self. Yeah, <laughs> so handsome, right? So handsome. Um, hustled his way right. to being a studio player. But he always kept that, like, I'm a poor farm boy from, mm. the, from the Midwest. So he related in that he way. He absolutely probably. related to her. Okay. He was like, I'm, even though we think of Clark Gable as the ultra sort of alpha male of the studio system, right. he felt completely emasculated by the studio system. Right. The fact that um, Obi Mayer could literally lend him out, whore him out to right. the highest bidder whenever he right. felt like it. And that he actually wasn't paid that much for it. So Look, he, when I put you on the track, <laughs> you go get my money. Okay. <laughs> you better go get it, bitch. Don't let me pull them weeds. Hey. That's, sorry, Clark. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, sorry, Clark. Gotta, he's exactly. an interesting character because even his roles, you know, he's most well known for Gone with the Wind right. and The Misfits. And I think it kind of comes across that you know he's never happy with 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 his treatment, all these these earlier movies and right. like Magambo and all this mm-hmm. kind of crap. That it's just you can tell. He, I mean, he's in it. and He's the pretty guy, right. and, he, and he's not embracing it. It's interesting you say that because he's like a poor guy, and he's and he's not embracing what that gave him. Right. In terms of because a similar poor guy was Cary Grant, you know, he came, right. he's like an acrobat or some shit like right. that, and then he, and it's like, but he knew, but he came from England, and he came here, and it's like right. I can reinvent myself in a way that people just, if I if I put an accent on, they're already give, they're giving me something, right. right? Whereas you know, Gable, he probably in his own mind he could never escape from the his upbringing, which is you funny know? you say that because as soon as you talked about because he's always got a drink in his hand, yeah. And I was like, oh, so he didn't think he deserved it to some extent. You know, people have that, like, I'm not worthy of making my $4,000 a week right. in 1937 or whatever it is, and which is like 50000 probably whatever. Like, right. you know, probably 100000 you know what I mean? So it's interesting. I'm wondering that. Yeah, I mean, he, um, I mean, looking at the film, Gone with the Wind, I mean, mm-hmm. every time I watch it, I just laugh. Right. Because the performances are all over the place, right. except for Vivian Lee. But he has such contempt right. for this film. You know, like he refused to take a southern accent. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone else is trying these ridiculous. You know, I won't try and southern accent. They're overdoing accent. a crap right. out of it, too. right? <laughs> but he doesn't even try. Right. And you can tell he just has contempt for the right. for the whole thing, and he had contempt for the studio system because he was forced to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, he's one of those other sort of underdogs of the studio system that we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, the debonair alpha male mm-hmm. is actually, you know, a self-loathing, uh, just conflicted alcoholic. Right. So. 
And when he said, I, could, I don't give a damn. <laughs> he, was, he, he really meant it. He, 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 he really meant that shit. I'm he an actor. He, he, he walked out the door and out the set <laughs> and <laughs> kept going. <laughs> he kept the whiskey. Excellent. There's no other take on that one. We right. got the one take. Right. I'm going to give you one, bitch. That's it. No, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's always very interesting. It's the thing that I think people. Particularly back then, you know, like the, there, was, there was such like lack of, of, of you know, there's no inside Hollywood or right. stuff like that back right. then. You know, there were those magazines that they kind but of... But everything too, you got to remember, everything was very like scandals and things like that. They it's kept all kept that quiet. Shit tight. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, you, know? you know, that's the guy, uh, LA Confidential, the Hush Hush magazine. Oh, right. So it was like there's always those guys who were trying to like pull out stuff like that, but they kept it quiet. And it's just interesting, you know, because like he had such a tragic life, you know, like yeah. he he you know he he hates the he, he hates his self loathing thing. Mm. His his only real happiness is 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 like his marriage to Carol Lombard, Lombard. and then she dies in a plane accident, Terribly like I think tragic. two years into her to their marriage, right. you know. And then I think you look at after, after that, he didn't even care about any of his work really. Mm. And then you know the misfits, he basically drunk himself to death on yeah. the set, yeah. you know, like kidding yeah. with John Huston. Dies right after the movie is finished shooting. So he was yeah. young, you know. But well, the mistress was like in '64 because it was it was also Marilyn Monroe's oh, last film, the last one. And uh, it was all tragic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was someone else was on that movie. It was, it was someone else's last film. That movie too. I was like, well, that's what fuck, I watch when know? I watch the film now. I'm just like, damn. I mean, just the stuff, the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. You know, see, every see, classic that, they yes. have that story. Yeah, but, 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 right. but see, that's what makes the movies interesting to me. That's why I always think Hollywood stories are fascinating because. You know, the town has a sway, not just over the country, but over the planet, right. but particularly our country, where it's like, you know, it's called the Dream Factory. And mm-hmm. everyone, and it got that name during the height of the worst, you know, experience the nation had felt with the Depression. Everyone's coming out here. And all those stories, like like Lana Turner at, at Swab's, you know, mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, and everyone kind of feels this is like this ticket this is the golden ticket for us. Right. We can mm. get this. And then, you know, there's always the story. Well, it's not that, it's, it's not that, that, that clean. There's a great quote that I have up on my um, refrigerator. It's from uh, Greta Garbo. And it's like, you know, everyone dreams how about Hollywood, but, but they wouldn't if they knew how hard it was here. Right. You know, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's true. Cause it's but like, she said know, that in one year and, and it's like still 19, the same. Okay. This is like no. 1932. Uh, Cause you know, it's like, <laughs> she a vampire. Oh, she yeah. predicted shit. Oh, oh, oh. And, and the oh, industry hadn't know? really been, that, had been, had been around that right. long. And she already like, this is some shit, yo. Just started to talk. This some bullshit, yo. some bullshit, yo. But that's when she quit. I, 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 I want to say that Anna Karenina was her last movie, I think. And she was, like she did a few talkies and she was like, I'm out. I got my, got my loot. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. That was it. That was her, yeah. that was her last. That's hilarious. Oh, aged, and also she had aged out of, and her film sort of aged out of what yeah. was hot then because yeah. color was coming around. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. So right. let me just ask you a question. As somebody who has been on the Blacklist and did the Blacklist, Blacklist, Blacklist podcast, which is no longer around, do you advise people to submit to the Blacklist? Absolutely. Right. Because uh-huh. we, we, we encourage people to all the time. Mm-hmm. That's all. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as you're writing, writing more, the more exposure you can get for your work, the better. Right. Um, the notes you get, the feedback you get, mm-hmm. you all, you know, you need that. Right. You can discard it or take it to heart, but 
you know, which happens a lot. I mean, I discard a lot of stuff, but um, <laughs> I hate to say it, but um, you have to keep doing that. And you, right. I mean, that keeps you working and that keeps you ready and thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great resource. Everyone over there is great. They really champion writers. Right. They champion good writing. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, resources help you make a better writer. Right. So absolutely, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth it. Well, that's, that's the thing I think is an interesting point. You said, you know, you can throw out notes that people give you and stuff like that. And, and I think that's interesting. The thing about notes when you get them, you know, there's two types of notes that you can disagree with. There's, there's a note that's like, you didn't get it. Right. Or there's a note that's like, now I got to think about why that didn't work for you. Mm. You know, because there's, so, you know, it's, it's like, like there's kind of like a personal mistake that, you know, like, oh, like I didn't like that because of whatever, some sort of bias you have. Right. Or there's a note that's that. And that's the thing. Everybody goes into a script with, with a particular with a bias right. from some bias part of On the some script. level, true. Right. And, but this, and I think it's interesting <clears> because a, a lot of times, like, I might get a note that I don't agree with, but it makes me think and it makes me go... I wonder if there's something else that I could have done. I don't know how to address that, but there's maybe something else that right. should be... It, it just helps you think about the material. Right. Right. And it's very hard to get other people to give you um, criticism. You know, it's, it's like I always say, like getting people to read a script is one of the hardest things to do in town. Right. Um, you You're know, asking a lot of time for them know, to yeah. do it. People right. never want to read shit, you right. know. I mean, it's just how it is. Guilty. Um, <laughs> they never do. And it was just, I mean, it's crazy because right. everything is predicated on if it's a good story. Right. Um, and they complain about, I can't find anything good. Are you reading? Oh, no. Well, <laughs> you know, not. So, but it's just, it's, I, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing you're saying that. Like, you submit, you get your feedback, and it should just help you consider what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hardest better. part I've learned of of getting notes is learning how of taking a note is actually interpreting the note, because depending on who's right, who's giving the note, right. I mean, if they are a producer, if they are someone else, or not, they have their own sort of agenda, and that's not a nefarious thing. Right. They just are looking at the material for various reasons. Right. So you have to just figure out what that note really means. And and that's the thing. That's why I always tell every writer, you should be writing for the reader. And I when I the reader could be anybody, but what I mean is. Is, and we were talking about this, this last night, Chris, about sometimes you write a script and it's really, really good, but it's not a movie yet. Mm-hmm. To you, you thought you write a movie. Right. But to a producer, we're like, it's not a movie. We still need a big scene where the actor does this. We still need a big crashing. We still need, you know what I mean? There's things missing for them to sell it. You know what I mean? And so, so sometimes your script is, isn't for the particular person who's reading it. Absolutely. You know, me as a producer may be looking at it differently than just another writer. Right. You know what I mean? So go ahead. Yeah, and their expectation as to what the script is, what right. it should be. And everyone wants certain things. You know, right. some people want bigger scenes, some people want smaller scenes. Right. You know, some people are looking at it as a vehicle for whomever or for some part of their mandate. Right. And if that's not your work mm-hmm. and and that's not your vision, should you tailor it just for uh, you know, a whim of someone else, or should you stick to your vision and just uh, polish it? I say your vision. I think you always should stick to your vision, but you have to understand, like you said, Lisa, we talk about this all the time, who you're getting notes from is is really important. Because I've I've learned something really interesting. After I've got my notes from Lisa or Chris or whoever, any of my friends, and I've made my polishes, you know who reads my script? My sister. (laughs) I thought you say your mom, but well, that too. But my (laughs) sister, because she's in like Oprah's book club, she's like really well read. Right. 
I want to know, can a regular person read a script right. and understand right. it? Right. So I'm looking for something right. different. Mm-hmm. And she sees little things that even my writer friends sometimes right. don't see because she's used to reading story. Right. right. You know what right. I mean? If that makes any sense. Right. No, right. I, I think I was telling you, this is something that Scott and I were talking about. Uh, not your Scott, but right. Scott Alexander. Um, what he does a lot with his movies is that when he's working on them, he has um, uh, a Chinese woman cuts his hair, and he goes and he and she always asks him, "What do you work on? What do you work on?" And he just pitches the story to her, and he's like, "If she gets it and she's engaged, right. Right. then I know I'm on the right track." While she's she, concentrating she's on cutting, cutting his, his hair, hair. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that's but if nice. she's confused, <clears throat> right. On any point, and his pitch, hair is jacked up. You know, <laughs> no, that's that's something has gone hardly wrong. We're, we're going to have to go a little we're short. That's risky. That's risky. That's not come out right. But it's interesting because, it's like you said, it's it's, it's kind of like you need to know. I mean, so there's two things there. I mean, you know, like that's just seeing if the story works for the general audience because a lot of times you're too in the story to recognize yeah. where there might there's things you know that in your head that aren't that there's there's stuff that you have that is that's, that's in between your head and the page right. you know and and, and but, but sometimes you think it's in the page right. but right. it's not and the audience has to you know have to know that and that's where you got to you have to get feedback you got to mm. see who's if, you know, if you've done it right. Yeah, know? I mean, it's so important to get feedback from a non-industry person because every industry person is reading it for, oh, this is of the right. moment, this right. is this kind of script, so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, but I always crave, and I don't have one, a reader that brings a lot of life experience to the page. Just like someone who has no professional or other sort of background in craft, whatever, just right. does it make emotional sense? Does right. this resonate on a human level. Right. Because you know, when you're so inside and like, oh, my page 15 moment, my act break. Well, you can send bit. me anything. I love your shit. Okay. So, so it's, it's, that's always <clears> the challenge. I mean, right. that's what really makes stuff work. Right. The life experience. I mean, because mm-hmm. as writers, you know, we forget about that because we're right. so focused on the polish, the yes. craft, the technical yes. aspect. Yes. But it has to really make sense right. on an emotional level. I, and, and we talk about this. I mean, there is an art to giving notes. Absolutely. If you are bumped, most people just go, you know, why did you do this? I didn't, I didn't understand that. Instead of, I was kind of bumped here. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the answer is, right. but I'm sure it's somewhere between page six and page 12. Something went wrong somewhere. Right. Maybe it's just a little ghost somewhere. Maybe because maybe you didn't establish the knife. or You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of note that I give. Like I, I haven't figured it out, right. but it's making me ask the question of what's missing. Something's missing right. somewhere. You know what I mean? Go ahead. Yeah, it's those top, it's those top five. Characterization, right. structure. I mean, that technical stuff. Characterization, right. structure, world, um, imagery, yeah. and thematic stuff. I mean, th- and that's what you want from seasoned industry people. Right. You want those things. But right. yeah, a lot of people, they give, they're not good at giving notes. True. Life notes. I say most people aren't good at giving notes. Yeah, just... It's unfortunate, but it's yeah. true. So that's what I mean. So you spend so much time <clears throat> having to interpret what they're trying to articulate because right. they don't really know what they're saying either. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, you're right. I mean, most people don't. I, I, I it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, you have to really just be, like ultimately you have to be thinking story and story encompasses those five things you're talking right. about. And so therefore you're, so you got to, so that's kind of like the, the root of where your notes should come from. 
because and then it's really hard for you to pull off your personal bias yeah. on things. I mean, because a lot of times, like you know, I read stuff it, that that's in my writers' groups, and I'm kind of like, I wouldn't watch this show. This is like <laughs> a sitcom. Why right. you ask me? I, I tell people all the time, people ask me to read sitcoms. I'm just like, look, I don't ever watch sitcoms. <laughs> I might watch two episodes a year of a sitcom. So if you want me to read it, right. then 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 recognize. The, the nuanced jokes that you have, right. um, I might not get everything because it's not my world, mm-hmm. but I can tell you if it works as a story. Right. Do right. things work? Is it a story well told? And and that ultimately has to be your, you know, like barometer for when you are looking at work. I mean, in the hard, I mean, the hardest thing is it's, tr- it's tricky is that it's like you, I mean, for me, like, I can look at someone else's material and and give them really razor sharp notes. It's hard for me to do for my own stuff, but yeah. it's right. I mean, I think we all have that. Yeah, because yeah. you're too close to it. Right. Like yeah. I said, it's just yeah. stuff that you have in your head that you're right. like hazing around, and you feel some of the script, but it may not be like articulated yeah. strongly enough. But you're you're um, and you're also a director, so your visual cues and the way that you do transitions and everything are going to be different than the way a normal writer is going to write. Regardless, even though you're not directing, you still know how to direct it and make it feel like it's just visually moving. Yeah, well, you feel me? that's true. I, 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 yeah, I do that. I mean, I, I, I do. You do that too, Gisha, I, very well. I do feel actually. that. I mean, there's a couple of times, a lot of times when we're in the writing group that I have and I give notes, <clears> I tell them on a scene, I'm like, oh, so, so when we're watching this, you know, this is what you kind of want to do or, 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 or like we want to see it. And I, sometimes I'll explain to them my note mm-hmm. is a, a, like how the shots would work. Right. You know, so they go, oh, I see. Or, you know, like some, you know, a friend of mine was writing this script one time about um, uh, this woman, I mean, this this guy who ages, he's just, he lives his whole life in a day. He's born and he dies mm-hmm. at the, in, in like his own farm. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, and at the end of it, there was this. There was a couple moments where I was like, "Oh, you know, at this point he jumps out of a, um, a car. I mean, a window." I said, "Oh, when he jumps out and he, you know, it's, it's like, so he stands and he stands up. He should be a little older then, right, you know." Right. And I said, "Just because it's like, you know, you could think about the shot where he's like he mm-hmm. steps in the frame." Another time, I was like, "Oh, you know," and he's and he's putting these little date stamps mm-hmm. like the guy's age throughout the pieces. Mm-hmm. Like Chiron. Yeah, when somebody it happens, I was like, "Yeah, imagine the part when he's having this emotional moment and he's aging quickly. Mm-hmm. That is on there, and, it's, and, it, and and we're seeing it move up, you know." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh yeah, that would, you know, because mm-hmm. it kind of just it, it kind of like." It visualizes the moment, right. and I think that has a lot to do with what, particularly writing movies, is that you're really writing for something visual, right. as opposed to television. Television has visuals, but it's constrained in a lot of ways because you don't have this unlimited budget, and right. you're like, we got to stay in this one set, right. and everything like that. And it's like that's and yeah, there's already a style. Is the style, right. you know? <clears throat> I mean, I think that's you know, there's just there's a big thing you have to you have to worry about think about when giving notes. What do you think, Lisa? You talk about this a lot. What do you think about as far as writers giving notes and stuff like that? Um, like as everyone has said already here, I'll co-sign. Like it, it is an art. I remember when I was first starting out giving notes, like so long ago, and you you just learn to get better. I think what it is, you really have to to the best notes I've gotten, the best notes I give is when you try to like convey to the writer. Not so much giving them solutions to fix mm-hmm. it, because a lot of times you don't know what to right. fix it. You just know something's right. wrong. Mm-hmm. Is to be very explicit in terms of what is exactly not working. You can't right. just say something like, 
try not to use like blanket statements like, oh, it's just not working right here. Something is going wrong. No, give a specific. At this point, right here, mm-hmm. arrow, note, or whatever right. you're using, if you're typing it in, right. I don't quite understand what the conversation about. Why are we talking about this? Right. Why It's not moving the plot forward. Right. We've already heard this before. Do you need this here? Those kind of very explicit notes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that comes over time. And I, I, I mean, the only the way that I can tell people is to... Read a lot of scripts, right. but read a lot of scripts um, where people have written about those scripts, where you have people who, because there's, there's, I'm trying to think, I can't think of it. I'll probably have to post it up later. There was like a book I found where it talks about people who talk about great films and why those scripts work, and they're specifically mm-hmm. talking about scripts. Right. And if I find that, I'll, I'll share oh, that Chris, link. you don't know what right. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a, it was just talking about, and it was so, it, it helped me in terms of giving notes because right. it helped me find the language to be very specific. And I think what happens is we're not, people who don't give good notes, they're not good at pointing out those things and not being honest enough to say, I really don't know. And sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know how to help you with this. It's not your job. Right. It's like, my job is just like, this is not working. This is why I'm feeling this way. Right. But it goes back to you saying the feeling. Yeah. The emotion. Yeah. Or it's taking me out of the story. And give them specific, why did it take you out of the story? Like, why is it like, I'm just confused. I can't. Right. Well, you think about what that book is, and I—I'll I, try to. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I mean, like, well, yeah, I don't know what I mean, but it's like I think I was saying this earlier. It's like the 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 exercise is to look at a movie that you know really well mm-hmm. and think about what are the moments in there that are really interesting to you, mm-hmm. and then go back and read a script and see what they did, mm-hmm. how they changed you know? it, how they changed, you know? what what they kept, <laughs> what they did. Yeah. That's a great you know? exercise. Yeah, I mean, because then you're like, oh. So I didn't necessarily need all because mm-hmm. you see stuff in the script. I mean, it, certain times if you can get drafts or sometimes online, there's multiple drafts that are available. You can kind of see where it's moving <laughs> around, or particularly if you get drafts that, that still have the star changes right. in the script. Yeah. To say, mm-hmm. see, like, yeah. something right. something didn't work here, you know, or they, you know, it's. I remember it was just a script like that. This could the um, if you can find the pilot for Homeland. Mm. Right, like Homeland is an interesting mm. pilot because you know this. If the, this is a draft I have, it's got it's like all the star divisions right. are there, you so you know where they were. Okay, and it's usually at the end of scenes, right. or you're right. like okay, you had to figure out how to get out of this, and right. then you didn't it didn't work, and 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 you don't know why, but you know that they had to really work on that right. point, mm-hmm. you know. Um, oh, and then there's and then that script's like a long script, and there's like a big like appendix at the back where like some yeah. scenes that they explain some shit. Yeah, go at the yeah. back, and you know, it's I was like, this is such a you know, but um, they because your world to building, in that. right? Like, her opening scene, like they changed radically changed her opening scene. Um, in yeah, they did. They did that. There's there's like and then there's like some more dialogue. What's on television? Mm-hmm. There's like, like just at the end of the script, there's like it's like a like an asterisk. Like you should have gone. This is mm-hmm. and it says go here. It's mm-hmm. just a. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you know that that was that's a, so that's like a, a in production draft, right. which is great to read because you know. I remember I was talking with with David Goyer one time. I was like, you know, this is you know for the show, and I was like, this is why my brother and I'd be great to be on your show because mm-hmm. we've, you know, uh, produced and directed a, a lot of our material, mm-hmm. so we kind of know what works on a production level. We can right. do those rewrites when things are like, oh, we can't get that set or things like. I mean, like we're right. comfortable doing that. Um, but see, then that that goes again. We were talking about your superpower. Like, what is your superpower in the room when you, even when you go into pitch, you know, you got to find that thing. About like if you're if you're if you they want to give you an option on your said script, you know, and you don't come with any elements, then you're the element. Yeah. So you got to explain to them why why they need to keep you 
on yeah. the set without saying you need to keep me on the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I've got to get your DNA into right. that script any way you can. Right. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned uh, some of the transitions and uh, the scene description right. in my work because I've gotten a lot of flack for that. From other writers, they're just like, no, this is way too florid. Like, this is not a Shakespearean. This is not. Listen, you know, you're trying to get the no. reader right, to exactly. read that and right. to go to somebody and right. say, y'all need to make this. I, yeah, I disagree make, 100%. I'm trying to make it pleasurable for the reader. I right. haven't you know, done enough coverage to know that some, some scripts read like Microsoft manuals, right. and mm-hmm. nobody wants to read that. Mm-hmm. And it's also, as a writer, my way of cheating a little bit. And trying to maybe not direct it, but really focus right. that scene as much as I possibly can. You keep it can. visual, though. I mean, yeah. and give it a visual. Yeah. Yeah. See, like I, I agree with you because it's kind of like I point people all the time. <clears throat> you know, like uh, uh, Gilroy on Michael Clayton. That Ooh. script has got such amazing language. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Really? So yes. when people tell yes. you, "Oh, yes. don't write this way," it's like, I mean, like I get. You can't write necessarily that way if you're writing if you're writing episodes on television because why you know because it's you're just making it you're not worrying about having to get people involved or anything like that but if you're writing a feature like that's an example like um, the Sixth Sense is another script that's right. so fan- like the language on the page will like will just blow you away mm-hmm. and a lot of it is this florid kind of like yeah, sparkly right, stuff right. but you know what he creates the mood. Absolutely. Of that movie, that's what I'm trying and to you say. You get immersed in that world, and you want to keep going. Yeah. Right. And he keeps it going, and it's like, and 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 I mean, that's right. If your script didn't have that to me, it would not be right. the script it is today, in my opinion, right. because you were putting us in that place. You were using words, you know, that 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 they would use back in the 30s, you know, to describe <laughs> things, you know, adjectives, whatever. The, it was like. You, you, you do thought that. about that. That's shit. what you got to do. You yeah. thought about that. You, know, shit. you, know you have I mean? to do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like I, you know, he told you the script I was working. on. I mean, like you have to, like I was telling him, it's like I spent a lot of time trying to make my story about this character feel like it was a movie that he would have made. Right. Right. Because he's telling the story about his own life, and I was like, "Well, he would tell it the way he would shoot it." So, right. you know, and it was like you had to, and I just been a lot. I kept thinking about that, like, how do mm-hmm. I? I could just, you know, what the scene could come out this. Way. I, could, I, I could end the scene this way, mm-hmm. but no, it's got to be like the way he would end his. How would he do it? How would he do it? This is the Orson Welles. Absolutely. You know, and I was like, right. I was just trying to make it feel like he was directing it, and it's just because it's like that's what I want. I mean. You know, I mean, that's I mean, the, that mood and that was what will elevate people because people read so many scripts. Mm-hmm. These talented people, these agents, and it's like it's you know they need to have something that like they can latch onto. Why it's not? Why they want to keep reading? Right. And 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 mood helps. Like like mood is kind of like grease for the emotions. Absolutely. Because if you're in the right mood, the emotions will flow so right. much better for yeah. what you're setting up. You know, so that's yeah. I mean, my personal obsession is tone management. Like, if anyone asks me to read something of theirs, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just I'm sure they'll hate me afterwards because mm-hmm. I'm all about tone management, mm-hmm. especially for genre. Um, mm-hmm. If you combine genres, which is tricky because you've got to find the right tone right. to sort of combine them. But all this stuff goes down to tone management. Mm-hmm. Because once you write something, you know, the scenes might change. The, some of the um, story elements might change. Right. But you've got to keep that tone. Right. And if someone tells you, oh, change the tone, that's the note that you throw away. Because right. they obviously are going to send you into you know, cuckoo land with some <laughs> right. script that doesn't make any sense. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, so, that's exactly right. Yeah. You, you know what? We're not. That's this thing that Craig Mason was saying. It's like... You just, you're like you even bought into to my movie, 
right, you want to buy into your movie, mm-hmm. and that's and so we're gonna have that that discrepancy, right? And see, and that's and that and understanding that is what he was saying is a, is a key way to manage notes from executives and producers mm-hmm. because they'll be throwing stuff at you trying to like you know like solve something that's not working for them mm-hmm. and they'll like break the tone with the note they're giving you good point very good point point. and right. you have to then steer them back or say or the thing that, that Craig was saying or walk off the movie right. because he was saying you'd you know what you'd much rather be someone who walks off the movie because they have 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 broken that you know social compact that you originally signed on for, then you getting like you know like you said get in a cuckoo land and do something that that, that, <laughs> that you don't understand that they make the movie and it's bad then you, then you know whose fault is it you're right. at fault and you can always you know? see right when you've seen like eight thousand rewrites and they oh we brought it in this kind of writer right. this kind yeah. of writer and then it's just this like hodgepodge right. of nothing that anyone can sort of pick. Right. Could latch onto, hundred percent. Oh, and, uh, th- and also the point of that is the reason why you, he was also saying why you want to walk off if they if these tone break things is if you walk because of that kind of discrepancy, then the, the you know then they're not bringing in someone else and saying well the last writer failed, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, right. he couldn't bring it home. She couldn't bring it right. home. No, he said, you got some crap and I'm not going to be involved in your game anymore. <laughs> right, like right. dude in Sadadoff who wrote Sadadoff. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, Takashi. Takashi. Yeah. And Takashi was like, I was on my third pass and I was like, it doesn't feel like the movie I was trying right. to make it all anymore. Right. Yeah. So right. he stepped back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, I mean and, I, and that's a hard thing for writers to do because they're thinking like, this is mine and I can, and I can tell the story. I know what it was. But at that point, you're not telling your story. Right. You're telling, you know, you're right. an employee for them to tell Correct. their story. Correct. And you can't be working on stuff that is, I mean, you can, but if you mess it up, then it's like, they'll blame you. They will blame you. <laughs> and then they'll tell your agent, you know, he couldn't hack it. Right. And he's going to get around. Well, we'd hire someone else to write this because right. so-and-so couldn't, couldn't do it. Right. When it. When it basically was, they couldn't execute the notes that you were giving. Not that they can't write. But the notes that you were giving. Right. They bought the script. So right. clearly they can so write. So clearly they won't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so, go ahead. I was going to say, I was saying, I was gonna what's next? What's next yes. for you? What's, what's happening? What's popping? Yeah, what's popping? Good question. Um, I mean, I have been working in, I'm always working on other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, another feature of mine that was optioned, uh, it's a very different type of project, but still it's a period piece, so to speak, a memoir-based script about larger-than-life personalities, mm-hmm. about Alexander McQueen and Issy Blow, the <laughs> British designer mm. who committed suicide. Mm. And um, You would like that, Chris. <laughs> and uh, again, it's a very different time period. It's 80s London punk scene, the fashion yes! scene. Um, but I think the same sort of... Uh, Is that the one you sent me? No, I sent you something else. I sent okay, you okay. Um, a, a, a thriller... Psychological thriller horror about an interracial couple moving into a subdivision. She wrote it before Get Out, too. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting notes on that, by the way. But um, I'm working on that. I mean, that's been optioned. It's being packaged right now. Right. And again, it's very different, but still, the same skills, mm-hmm. writing about the struggles of Hattie McDaniel and David Oselznik in the golden age of Hollywood right. um, were applicable. You know, finding these historical personages, but making them into characters. Right. Um, Making fleshing out the world and really finding the 
the drama, the dilemmas, and the tragedies of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, being packaged and should go into production soon, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few other pilots that I've worked on, and um, I just have some things out there. And just, you know, as a writer, we have to play the waiting game. Yeah. And while you play the waiting game, you've got to keep Moving working. on. on yeah. yeah. So yeah. researching a, a, several other projects, trying to, a pilot work, and I just cannot... Get this polish right. Just I keep this, but you have to just keep you know. You have those bumps sometimes. Yeah. So I'm working on this. I'm just trying to polish it and polish it, and um, just seeing how that goes. And uh, I'm going back to New York, but I'll be back here very soon. Okay, good. For more meetings and to see what's going on with my other projects. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Good. Nice. Where, where are you at on Twitter? So people can follow. Oh yeah. You. Um, my handle is GM Geiko G M G E I K O on all the on on Instagram on Twitter GM Geiko. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's how. We know each other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Where are you at, Chris? Uh, unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram and shadowboxforcinema.net. Okay. We going to uh, post them the shirts soon? <sighs> okay. I need size. Everybody else has started to come up with their own version of these damn shirts. Cotton? Is it 100% cotton? cotton? Yeah. Let me get some mm-hmm. sizes. All right. Let me. I want a large. And I, I want, want a purple. small. I want it purple. <laughs> You want a small? I like you know I like my shirt. <laughs> he like he fitted. Likes the, it's called fitted. Well, I'm kidding. I'm keeping it in shape for. I'm wearing a big ass. I shirt. like the large. I like to layer my clothes at work, so I want to wear it at work too. What color are you looking for? I want a black one. You want a black? Let's see if I can get you a shirt too. Okay, so thank the you. The shirt is um, it's called the Queens of Cinema. Oh, I love it. And it's got like the first names of like um, Ava DuVernay and like Dee Rees and oh, Victoria Vigoni and Cassie Lemons and Sheena Prince Bythewood. So. Oh no. Um, Obviously, I'll take black. Oh, but size. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like I, you. I, I don't steer away. <laughs> Do you size? Can I get a size? The smallest you have. Small. Do you have extra small? Uh, no. There might be extra small. Is there, oh, Wait, yeah, what, sure. what, is it just regular, like the regular t-shirt t-shirt, or is there different styles of t-shirts I can choose from? There's a men's t-shirt and there's a female's t-shirt. But is it, sure it crew neck or v-neck or yeah. scoop neck? So yeah. He's like so confused. No, 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 he's no, such a straight no, guy. No, 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 no. I'm trying to. I, I don't remember if it's it's, it's scoop neck. It's scoop oh, neck. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's not V neck. It, and not crew neck. That's not flattering for. Women. It's crew neck for the guys, and I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's, it's scoop yeah. neck for the for the women. Okay. I have to. I have to. Look. I prefer V neck, but I'll work with it. Look at me taking t-shirt off the bike um, <laughs> in the middle of the can podcast. You, can and I you need... create one from me? <laughs> so where you at, Lisa? I've just been so busy. And I, I, I keep, and I, like, I'm recutting the reel. I, I haven't had some time to like go on there and do it. I understand, but have my t-shirt. Because yeah. I want to sp- like, start sporting it. Because you know, Universal over. Fan Con is next month. And then WizCon is following month. I need to have the t-shirt. Okay. You know I'm a t-shirt fan. Hi. What was your question, you sir? Oh, where am I? Hi, I'm at Twitter. At what fresh hell is this? Um, I'm also... Uh, you need to be following My her. latest thing, my Sci-Fi Wire article's up, and also um, Bitch Flicks. Uh, shout out to uh, the cast and crew of Atlanta, FX TV yes. show. Uh, and shout out to Cat Williams, because yes. Cat Williams did the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, the one thing I got to say about Atlanta is back. And I was intrigued. Me and my mom watched it. They're stepping it. it up. I'm like, me oh, and my mom watched My mom's a fan, which I'm is seeing? interesting to me because my mom yeah. usually doesn't like to watch shows where there's a lot of language stuff going oh. on. But she, there's something about this show, and like she, she just says, "Oh my god, is that Catley?" I was like, "Yes." And um, 
Donald, I really need you to make sure. You, you can direct message me this, and I won't <laughs> tell anybody else, but my mother is really concerned that Ern needs to have a place to stay. Right. Because she's worried about him living. Look, look, it's not even a real person. <laughs> it's not a real person. But she, my, you stressing my mama out while we're watching the TV show together. So please, please make sure Ern has a place to live or a couch to, to sleep on. But I'm excited the show is back because it's right. like... I had to get the effects. We'll out watch it tonight. Mm-hmm. We'll watch it tonight. Are you guys having an Oscar party? Oh, I, you know, man, you I haven't watched the, the, the final episodes of season one, man. I'm like, mm-hmm. behind, I'm what? You haven't actually, you know what? It's kind of standalone-ish a little bit. I mean, it's They're a little, standalone. It's a little serialized, but I mean, I mean, the first two felt serialized to me, and then the rest of it, it they, the rest they, of it, the rest of it all kind of changed. Yeah, the show. It's just not. It's just same with him. I got the first two. Yeah, it's unpredictable. The thing is, you never know. So with every episode going in, you just never know. And I love that. I mean, that's. That's what I enjoy about Donald's work. I mean, you know, there's a there's a music video I just saw his maybe in the last three months. He's in like a coffee shop with some oh, right, with right, some right. girl, and it's just like mm-hmm. it's so kind of like you just it was inventive because you never knew what was going to happen next in right. the piece. I was like, that's cool. And and also, I want to thank the late my favorite my favorite singers for for closing out my Black History Month. <laughs> so shout out to Joy Gilliam. Uh, Rebecca Holy Love, a.k.a. Star Kitty. She got a new jam. And all of my three faves, they drop songs that I think should have been on the Black like Panther soundtrack. Man, so Kitty. thank you, Joy, for her new ch- Her album's coming out pretty soon, but she's got a new jam called Stare At Me. Uh, Michelle and Ocello's got a new album called Ventriloquist, where she's doing a bunch of like covers. The first one she did, Waterfalls from TLC. Okay. She slowed it down. It's amazing. And Janelle Monet dropped two videos. So I just feel like 2018 is like the blackest year in a long time I've had. <laughs> and I felt like the, the, the ancestors were saying, you need to give Lisa her music. It's like 1995 all over again. It's <laughs> like, I'm feeling like I'm wearing cross colors again. I've oh got boy. my X chain on. Like, it is like the blackest thing ever. So, so shout what out to those ladies. What were we talking about last night? Crisscross. Right. Yeah, Crisscross. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm mad because I had one of those old uh, Crisscross shirts. Uh, the the cross color or yeah, cross color that's, that's why that's why you say cross colors I was like it just you know yeah because I used to have like a, a baseball jersey yeah. that and the reason why I got it because I knew that that stuff was going to play out pretty soon because there's only so much that we can do with fatty clothes right. but that was the one I thought I kind of, and I remember I spilled like some kind of soda or something on it and then I held on to it and I don't know what I did with it but it's probably <laughs> worth some money on eBay <laughs> so anyway shout out to all the people who have new product coming out um hey next week I believe it's uh, Wrinkle in Times coming out. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. And um, hey, in the y'all, is everybody planning to go dress up for that one too? I already got my outfit. Okay. In fact, I'm gonna wear the same outfit I wore to the reading I did for y'all at the WGA. My glow in the dark mm-hmm. synapses dress <laughs> with the boot because it's gonna glow in the dark. Because I figured they're using brain power and this brilliant black child is okay. saving the universe. <laughs> and I need to wear my glow in the dark see dress. Gotta <laughs> I gotta wear my glow in the dark dress, and then I put on the cute stuff, and it's just gonna be fun. So yeah, cool. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. At Hilliard Guest. Follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, give us a five star review. Go on Apple Works, give us a five star review. Follow us, um, share, all that shit. Um, big shout out to all the countries that are following us. Things are going really well out there. Um, keep sending in the questions. We're getting a lot of questions. I, we have to have to do another QA. Maybe that'll be what we do for 200, if anything. What day is the 200 episode? We need to do it soon. Can you believe it's coming up? Coming up. We actually have more than 200. And to think that I made you have to take me to like 
get me some chicken and waffles two times <laughs> when you said, I want to do a podcast show and I want you to be on it. And I was like, I don't know. I will feed you. Okay, well, we're going to get some chicken and waffles and we're going to talk about what you want to talk about. And right. it's like two. And we finally episodes. made the top 10 in one last, uh, like a month ago, two months ago. That oh, was I good. can't believe that. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised, but I just was like, it's curious. I mean, yeah. Well, I am surprised. I'm, I'm surprised. What was that comparison they called us? Oh, like, what is that? Uh, it was like a, he was like, if you, if you listen to script notes with John and Craig and then listen to us, it's like a smack in the face or something like that. <laughs> right. That's uh, a compliment, Jack. I'm going to take that too. <laughs> it is a compliment. So that's what's up. So join in with me, everybody. You guys know how we do it on The Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it one, everybody. Wakanda. Wakanda. Yes. Thanks. Peace, y'all. Ciao. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. So you wanna be a rider? Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the Red Room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room.